Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Good Grief. My name is Dr. Christine Malone, and in this podcast, we talk about trauma, tragedy, and survival. In each episode, I will interview someone that has gone through grief in some way, and we will discuss the impact it has had on their life. By sharing these stories, we hope that others won't feel alone should they be going through similar situations. Enjoy. Okay, listeners, thank you for joining us today. I have two guests for my podcast who are going to tell us about their story, um, their own personal stories with with loss, and then how they've come together. So if the two of you would like to introduce yourselves, um, just tell us a little bit about yourselves. And then I'll start with you, Vicki, if you could tell us your story after your introductions. I am Vicki Harvey and recently married to Casey Harvey, just got married in November. Um, I had my first husband and we got married in 1992 and he passed in 2018. Great. Okay. How about you, Casey? Brief info? Yeah, Casey Harvey, um, recently married. (laughs) (laughs) Um, my my late wife, uh, Crystal Harvey, um, she passed away from stage four melanoma. So my son was two and a half years old uh, when that happened. And um, yeah, I got a lot to talk about it with, yes. with that and stuff. I'm a, I travel a lot. So I'm a major league baseball scout with the Texas Rangers. Oh, great. So I've been, I mean, it's, you know, over a hundred flights a year and a lot of time away. So the, uh, her passing obviously created a lot of challenges, as you can imagine. Yeah. You know, I didn't exactly check in my son, you know, in a bag, you know, onto the plane. So, <laughs> yes. Well, thank you. All right. So, um, Vicki, let's start with you. Why don't you tell us a bit about kind of, you know, you mentioned your, your first husband. So, how you met, um, what your life was like, and so on, leading up to when he eventually passed away. So, um... Dana, that's my husband, he, he and I met, I was a freshman in high school and he was a senior. Um, we met through track and it was like our first weekend of track and I remember him waving across the gym D for me. <laughs> and we went to the state basketball game, our high school had made it to state basketball. And from there on out, we were dating. Um, bless his heart. I was raised by my grandparents, so I didn't have the normal upbringing. Um, and so they were very, uh, what's the word? Um, (laughs) strict, (laughs) I think just the older generation. Um, but he stuck through it. We, he proposed to me on my prom. So we'd been meeting me dating three years at that point. And, um, so he proposed and then we got married that August of 1992. So step back a little bit, um, graduated high school on a Friday, Monday found out I was pregnant. <laughs> so decided to get married at the end of summer rather than waiting a little bit. Um, we raised three great kids together. We had um, Tarina, Ashley and Dane. They're all about three years apart. And we did all the normal parent kid stuff, the sports. Um, He was a mailman, so I often was on my own on the weekends. So that was kind of a challenge at points, but we did it and he was there as much as he could. And that was probably one of the best things he 
the kids have their memories of is their dad being there to support them. Um, great. So just raising kids, doing the normal stuff. And I even remember my daughter and I having a conversation. I think she was my oldest daughter. She was in college and she had said, we were talking about what is a normal family. I said, well, who, who's got a normal family, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of even looking at myself growing up. I was considered myself not normal because I didn't have a mom and dad to raise me. Um, and she goes, mom, I think our life's pretty normal. And oh, Trina, what about those couple of times dad lost his noodle on you? And she looks at me and she goes, mom, that's way more normal than you'd like to think. <laughs> and so, I mean, we just had a normal quote unquote upbringing with the kids. And 2017, our youngest graduated and um, we had our 25th wedding anniversary in August of that year. And so come February, we decided we were gonna celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. And we went to Mexico and celebrated and my best friend and her husband came and joined us, had a great time. Um, I knew Crystal through work. I'd worked with her for about 15 years, which is Casey's late wife. And while we were down there, she had passed away. The very next day, my grandma, the one who raised me, passed away. So even though we had sadness when we were down there, we had a great, great time. We came home and said, what changes do we need to make? We wanna do more of this. This is our time. Um, I think because of Crystal's passing, we were sitting in the car one afternoon and we were talking and just had a conversation of what would you do if I passed, you know? And he made a simple comment like, I don't know if I'd ever remarry. And I always wanted to revisit that, but it wasn't the time to have that conversation. And I had a blanket conversation, you know, like I think I'd probably, maybe I'd start to exercise and work out a little bit better. <laughs> I mean, just a simple, simple conversation. And it wasn't a month and a half later, he suddenly passed of a STEMI heart attack. Wow. Um, going into that day, it was a Monday. And it was like, the, it was April 23rd. And it was a perfect spring day. It was sunny. Everybody was happy. I don't normally work Mondays. And I left work. And I said, I called him and I was like, hey, do you want me to bring you a Coke? I thought about taking him lunch, but I was like, no, I already packed him a lunch. And he liked Coca-Cola. So I drove from Lake Stevens down to North Seattle and took him a Coke. Saw him for a few minutes. He's like, do you want to wait for me? I'm not quite at lunch. I'm like, no, we'll just head on. I'll, I'll head on, do my errands. I'll see you tonight. Um, during that day, and I, I still can't explain this, but I was at work and I had this vibration in my chest. God, what is that? It's weird. And it felt like a cell phone vibrating. And I felt it on and off through work. I remember getting on the trussle there in Lake Stevens, felt it again, never really thought much, you know, I mean, it's like, okay, that's weird, but kind of went on with my day. We got home that night. Um, <laughs> I made pork chops and rice and dried out the pork chops. And I remember us laughing about that. And we shared a bottle of wine. Um, and as I was sitting there, I, I even looked up the, the vibration thing and I didn't say anything to him. And I wish I would have, but 
um, and it was like, oh, you could be stressed or this or that. And I just kind of like, well, I don't feel stressed, whatever. I'll just, if it keeps happening, I'll look, you know, call the doctor, whatever. We went to bed that night, um, fell asleep, snuggling. And he woke me up about an hour later and he was in the bathroom and he's like, I don't feel good. I got some tingling in my arm. Um, I had seen him hyperventilate before because I've seen him have kidney stones and gallbladder issues. And so he's been in pain before. And I'm like, slow down your breathing, knock it off. <laughs> so I went and grabbed him a paper bag. And, you know, I'm like, do I need to call 911? I don't know. Got him the paper bag, got him out of the bathroom. Dana, do I need to call 911? He's like, maybe. I'm like, forget it. I'm just going to call. So I called 911. And they got there and we were out on the, the couch and they started asking questions and they hook them up and they're, they're reading his EKG and they kind of start talking and I'm like, okay, something's going on. And then the stretcher comes in and I said, you're going to transport him. And they said, yeah, there's, there's something here. I said, okay, is it okay if I go change? And they're like, oh yeah, no problem. So I go in and I literally, you know, take off the pajama bottoms with yoga pants I made a 30 second phone call to my oldest daughter. She was living in San Diego and about a 20 second phone call to my brother-in-law and stepped back out and they were doing CPR on him. So I just froze, didn't react the way that I thought I would have. Um, just kind of sat there and I, you know, come on, Dana, come on. And I remember his arm raising up and I said there he is and they kept continuing to do it and so two of the kids were still living at home my oldest daughter no my middle daughter was at home um, in her senior year but she lived close enough that she could drive and my son was going to the community college and so Ashley was up and I told her to take the dog I said just keep the dog in here dad's not feeling good but I got 911 on their way and all of a sudden I realized, I'm like, I got to go wake up my son. And so I went in and startled him awake pretty much and said, get up. I need you up. They're doing CPR on your daughter. And I asked him, I was like, go be with your sister. I need you to be with your sister. And we kind of came back out and we were on the other side of the house, but we could see what was going on. And I realized he was still behind me. And I said, I, Dan, I need you to go be with your sister. So then he, he went in there. And shortly after that, they came to me and said, we got a pulse. He's breathing. And I'm like, okay, let's go. I just, I just went into like what we need to do. Let's, let's go. So they, they brought him out. They got him in the aid car and they said, well, we're, we're going to leave. We'll have you sit in the front seat. And I told the kids, I said, as soon as you see us pull away, just follow us. And I got in the front seat and we weren't moving. And I heard the CPR again. There's a very distinct sound with CPR. Um, I could hear the grunting of his voice every time they did a compression, which that was a little unexpected for me. Um, I sat there, I sat there. We weren't going, we weren't going. At one point they had told me, we don't, we try not to move the patient so that you, you have better results if you're not moving. So I said, can I go get my kids? And they said, we're going to go here soon. And I said, I just want to go tell them what's going on. And we went and sat in the driveway for a while and finally said, okay, it's, it's time to go. 
And so we drove, it was probably 10, 15 minutes to the hospital. I don't, I don't know. Um, got on the freeway and I, I remember praying to God. I'm like, you either give him back to me fully or you take him. Because we had had that conversation about him not wanting to be a vegetable and living like that. So we get to the hospital, they pull him in. At this point, they've got a, a um, mechanical pump going on him. And I was just standing out of, outside the room and they, um, they saw me. I, I had kind of slid down and I stood back up and they had seen me. And so they said, we're gonna have you go on over here to this room. And then the kids came in shortly after that. And then I don't think we were in there 10 minutes. So there was a ambulance driver, I think that kept coming and checking on us. And he said, okay, go ahead and come with me. And you're hopeful at this point still. And we walked out and there was a nurse kind of coming from his, his room. And she's like, who, who are you? And I said, well, I'm Dana's wife and these are our kids. Mm -hmm. And she said, okay, well, the doctor just stepped away. And I'm like, okay. And she looked at me and she goes, your husband just had a massive heart attack. Yeah, okay. And I remember it, there was kind of a pause and she goes, I'm sorry, he didn't make it. And we all stared at her for a moment. Things I didn't remember, but I have sense in being talking about it. My daughter kind of freaked out a little bit. I turned and said, stop. And I, I've had to apologize to her for that. And that breaks my heart that I did that. And I said, can we go see him? And she's like, oh yeah. So we took about two steps towards his room. And then I, that's when I kind of lost it. And I stepped away, had a meltdown over the side and my kids came with me and they said, I asked them, I'm like, is it okay if I go see him first? And I went in there and I just said, Dana, I don't want to do this without you. And then people started showing up. His mom walked in the room and that's a face I'll never forget. Um, and there we are, <laughs> he's gone. I remember my stepmom talking to me and, you know, saying, you'll, you'll get to see him again in heaven, you know, this, that, and the other. And I said, yeah, but for right now, this is so final. It's so painful. So, how, old, how old was he when he passed, Vicki? 46. 46. With no, there was no, um, he was later I did find out he had an uncle that passed at 44 of a heart attack. Okay. So I'm guessing there's something in there, but you know, it's the year before he had ran his first triathlon, him and his brother together. Yeah. You know, I mean, he wasn't great, but he did it and he finished it. <laughs> yeah. 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 For sure. And that was 2018, you said. Yes. Yep. Okay. April. So he actually passed April 24th of 2018. Well, well I'm sorry for that loss. That's um, a hard story to tell. Um, so uh, Casey, do you want to give our listeners kind of what happened and what, what with your first wife and, and kind of the story like that you just shared with us? Yeah. So I lived in Lake Stevens, Washington. Um, like I said, I was a traveling baseball scout driving all over the place at that time. I think I was working with the Los Angeles angels. 
uh, single, uh, in and out of relationships, pretty much. I mean, like not exactly like a, a valued, uh, man, you know, gone 180 plus sometimes 200 nights a year chasing down, you know, who's the best high school and college, you know, players and in, 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 uh, Western Canada and in the Northwest. So, uh, needless to say next door, next door, I remember one day being home in the summer and I met, I looked over there and I'm like, God, who's smoking a cigarette over there? That hot looking blonde. <laughs> like she was like really pretty. And I was like, like really next door. So fast version is I get invited to come over because I was not Joe social by any means. And uh, her brother comes over and he's obviously a little tipsy. And he says, hey, he goes, come over here and watch University of Washington football game with us. You know, um, you know, get out of your house. Come over here. And his name was Eddie Stinson. So I go over there. Um, and, uh, coincidentally the quarterback for the university of Washington is a guy named Jake Locker. Well, this guy eventually played in the NFL was a first round draft pick. Well, I signed him with the Los Angeles angels. So I think the initial grab there was not like, let's invite the reclusive neighbor. Um, it was more like, well, he knows Jake Locker and, you know, my sister likes Jake Locker. <laughs> so I go over there and that's Christy. And so ironically, the, the cute looking blonde smoking, you know, nails next door. It it's, it's Eddie's Eddie, the guy that invited me, it's, it's his sister. And so that's how we met eventually, you know, and then eventually she moved in with me. So it was the girl next door, you know, that was my future wife. Um, and I remember, you know, she was, she was younger than me. Um, what, six years? Yeah. Six years younger. And it's kind of, I'm not real good with that stuff. But anyways, um, I remember telling her like, hey, listen, like, you know, I'm not exactly getting any better looking these days. So, you know, I'm serious about I like you a lot. And eventually we got married um, in Snohomish. Um, and then, um, yeah, we, we, had our, we had our kid, uh, Hudson, Harvey. Uh, that's my son. Uh, he's seven now. Um, we were at my brother's wedding. I want to say in, I want to say it was in July. Okay. And, um, having a great time. And she, when we left, she goes, Oh my God, I'm having a hard time breathing. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, really? And she says, yeah, I'm having a hard time breathing. Like, like, I feel like a short of breath, like almost like I go like, like, what do you mean? And she says, like, like, I felt like I smoked like an entire, like, pack of cigarettes in like 10 minutes and she hadn't been smoking at this point mm -mm. she'd stopped smoking has been you know because i told her i wasn't going to marry her if <laughs> you know she didn't stop now um so eventually we go to the hospital um they're like there's an anomaly in her lung okay and so we have to go through a whole lung biopsy and that's where they stick a needle through your ribs to get the biopsy now, she had had a history of melanoma before. And for listeners that don't know what that is, that's basically one of the most dangerous skin cancers you can have. And more times than not, it, it occurs in a mole. And more times than not, it, they, all they do is they cut it out. So there's an incision and there's a formula basically based upon the width you know, of the melanoma. It, wherever the location is on your body, you can cut it out. Okay. So she had had that done. Uh, I want to say when she was like 24, 25 years old and, um, she was not exactly gifted with 
you know, great genetics in the sense of like more moles you have, the more risk you have, the lighter skin you have, the better chance you got to get skin cancer because you burn easier, you know, and we learned all these things, you know, uh, later uh, through some of the amazing doctors we had, but eventually we realized like, oh my God, she's got, you know, it's, it's stage four when it's, when it's in an organ. So, um, and so this would be the third occasion of melanoma. And like I said, 20, 24, 25 years old, she gets the first incision on her back. We get married, we're on our honeymoon. And she's like, I feel something in my scar. And she has to have another surgery. And so they cut her from her right shoulder all the way down to her left, like a shark bite, you know, type deal. So now we're on now jump the forward. wedding, fast forward. She's having a hard time breathing um, and she's been diagnosed with stage four. So um, at that time, I'm working with the Texas Rangers. My son, you know, he's he's got to be like one and a half when she's diagnosed. And so um, <laughs> it's like, what do you do? Right. You have, it's just it's, it's total shock. You know, I, I have never been married before. I know. And there's a reason probably because I wasn't ever home, but two, I was very patient. I didn't want to be the guy that gets divorced, you know, because I just rushed something. Anyways, um, I eventually reach out to the Texas Rangers, our medical staff, because we have a pretty good medical staff being a billion dollar company. That's what we are. And we have access to certain things that probably most people don't. And um, they eventually get us to MD Anderson, which is the biggest cancer hospital in the United States. It's located in Houston, Texas. And so um, our, our owner, one of our owners, uh, God bless his heart, Neil Liebman uh, has a connection there and he gets us in very quickly than probably what would have normally happened. And uh, we meet with one, basically she's, she was at the time, she's retired now, Wen Jin Hu was her name. And she's considered the greatest melanoma oncologist in the world. She did all the clinical trials uh, with all the targeting therapy. Uh, she's the one that basically the pharmaceutical companies go, hey, here's this medicine. Like, tell us how to use it. Right. So that was a that was an amazing advantage, you know, for us, because the initial uh, treatment that we were getting in Seattle was, you know, I, I hate to break it to you, but like, you know, when I see the University of Alabama, and you're an oncologist, that doesn't make me exactly warm and fuzzy when you, my wife is stage four. Like I'm a scout and my job is to basically have good instincts and read between the lines on a lot of things. And I'm like, you know, I wanna see Harvard. I wanna see UC Irvine. I wanna see UC San Diego next to your oncology name. And this guy is at the University of Alabama. And it was very mediocre. I was very cautious and I think, you know, to speed up the conversation, um, you know, I took it very serious. My, 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 my only wife for my whole life and my son's a baby, you know, do I really want to hang my hat on this guy, you know, and, and just some of the things. So we were kind of bouncing between Seattle and cause it was closer to our home. It was much easier to go. And as things progressed and got worse and then got into her liver and it was, you know, digging into her spine and starting to spread. I eventually made the call that like, I remember calling Dr. Who, that's her name. She was awesome. 
And I said, I said, listen, I go, I can't look at myself in the mirror. If my dad, if, if my wife dies, I can't look at myself in the mirror and say like, did I do everything and anything for her? I go, so I'm like, we're coming down to you like permanently, like we're going to be right next to you. And, uh, that was hard. Cause basically, you know, I got a mortgage, we got car payment. My son's freaking just started walking and I got to yank my family and move it there. Um, and I did it. So, uh, you know, it's like scramble mode. You're going like, holy shit. Like, where are we going to stay? How are we going to do it? How are we going to afford it? Right? But we're going to do it. So, uh, the Rangers, my employer, they stepped out. I mean, rent was furnished apartment right next to MD Anderson. This is where people from all over the world come from, man. There's people from China, India. They were from everywhere. There's a reason. It's because they're really good at what they do. Their oncologists are paid more than anyone in the world. They recruit the greatest talent in the world. And it's a city. Like you have to take golf carts to go to buildings, right? They have 20 plus story buildings that are just for kidney cancer and research, okay? So that's when we did it, it was, you know, the Rangers basically paid I was getting checks in the mail for you know, $3,600. That was what my rent was a month, okay? In, in, and my son was little. Uh, Chrissy's mom, Mary, she actually stayed with us. And I actually remotely worked. So I would fly from Houston, Hobby or George Bush, and I would fly to California and scout. And then when things were, you know, serious, or uh, we had a we had a scan or a test, then I would come back. And so it was a lot of back and forth. I mean, it was a blur, like in hindsight, like I'm like, no wonder I can't remember a lot of the stuff because it was a blur. I mean, I was waking up at 4 a.m. in the morning to catch an Uber to go to hobby. And then sometimes I get a phone call. Hey, I don't, I feel like shit, I'm puking. And then I would fly back, you know, as fast as possible. So um, we did that for seven plus months eventually um they got to the point where they got her stable she was our doctor like i said was unbelievable i mean at one point when we got there they had over 300 spots on her brain all the way through her body all over head to toe and and after after i want to say three months of treatment with win jin who at md anderson they had two mm -hmm. and they were on her brain okay the, the toughest part to get out so um it was amazing, like in hindsight, what they did compared to other places. I think the lesson for your listeners is this, and I'll wrap it up. I know I'm rambling, but like if you have a serious illness, do not take the convenient route because you got to find who's great at what they do, and that's your best chance to survive. Because Seattle told us in the University of Washington that you have yeah, you know, they were like, we got to do whole brain radiation, which basically turns you into a zombie. And, you know, it's over. And 
Andy Anderson got another 14 months out of her. So eventually what happened is, um, you know, she, she passed, you know, from melanoma. So went into a coma and, um, doctor sent you home at Christmas time. What's that? Didn't the doctor send you home at Christmas time? Yeah. Our doctor listened to this. This is unbelievable. This is how amazing this woman was. Um, and some of the stuff she did, some of the stuff she did, you can't do like, it's just, it's amazing what she did. It's illegal what she did, but she was so in tune with, listen, you're, insurance is not going to cover this additional medicine that she needs to take. And I know that if you take more than what they recommend, it could save her because I've done it. Like she was unbelievable, but we were basically getting to the end. It was on her brain. We had to do gamma knife radiation, which is where they, they, they have direct lasers and they screw into your skull and put you in a halo. And I'm trying to paint this picture because like, this is real life, you know? Um, and I remember after uh, her last one, I remember asking the radiologist, like, hey, how'd it go? And she says, I could have done another three hours. But, you know, she ain't going to handle it. And so eventually our doctor um, said, no, nope, we ain't doing, you know, what they think they want to do. They want to put a port in her spine and, and basically just pour in chemotherapy into your spinal column. And she said, no, 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 we ain't doing that. Like, like, like we had to come back for a couple spinal taps. And I remember she said, no, no, no. They want us to come back during Christmas. And she said, no, we ain't doing that. Like, we're going to stay, we're going to stay the course with what I'm doing. And uh, it's going to work. And I think she actually told us, you know, hey, good news. They didn't find anything in your spinal fluid. You guys have a great Christmas. I almost feel like she did it on purpose. And that's, that's okay you know, to give you some hope. Cause I, I saw with Chrissy, her just relax and just like, oh, I'm going to enjoy Christmas, you know? Favorite. And it wasn't much longer after that, that, you know, she couldn't walk and we, we were in and out of the hospital, you know? Um, I think one of the hardest moments in my life was basically <sighs> when she was sliding into a coma, um, was deciding when, when can my son see her? And when should I not do it? That's, that was hard. And so she died uh, February 22nd, 2018. Wow. You both have very different stories, um, but both very heart-wrenching to hear um, for sure. So uh, what I'm hoping you can share now is how did you two end up together? I mean, I think I heard that um, Vicki, you worked with Chrissy um, and I'm guessing that's how you probably met. So how did you end up as a couple? So yeah, at work, we called her Crystal. Um, even though we worked with her for many years, for about 15 years, me and other coworkers, we could never swap over to Chrissy. We we even had conversations about that. <laughs> um, so after she had passed, I remember being absolutely sad. You know, here it is, a friend had passed away. Um, fast forward two months, my husband's suddenly gone. 
I, Casey and I really didn't know each other too much. I knew Casey is stopping in occasionally to bring crystal flowers. And I give, I worked at the front. So I'd be like, Hey dude, where's mine? You know, just banter. We, and that's about the extent of our relationship up to that mm -hmm. point. Um, so Dana passed and I, I remember thinking of Casey cause we had already had crystal celebration of life. Um, and and it was probably within the first few days, first week. And I remember because she had recently passed and thinking of Casey and just going, I had no freaking clue as to what he's going through. Losing a spouse versus a parent, a grandparent is a whole lot different. People will compare stories. Oh, I know I lost my dad. I was super close with them. Yeah, and that hurts like hell too, but it's a different kind of hurt, excuse my language. Um, so I would kind of remember, like I said, remember thinking just, wow, I had, I had no idea what he was truly going through. And about a month or so after Dana had passed, um, me and one of my good friends at work, I think she might've even reached out to Casey and just said, you know, hey, can we come over and, and visit? And she kind of took Hudson under her wing and they went outside and played. And Casey and I just sat and talked and I don't even really know all that we talked about. I just remember Casey saying, you know, I'm a couple months ahead of you, you know? Um, and I, I think you had said you were in shock at that point, I think you had told me. Mm, I kind of went through, you know, like more specific to this podcast would be, I remember like shock like numbness and like what the hell just happened right i remember leaving the hospital and this is the strangest thing the first thing i hear when i turn on my car you're just walking you're leaving your wife who's dead and the first song i heard and this i'm not making this up the song was called afterlife on the radio and i remember being in just numb and then really really sad really sad and then i was starting to come out of the fog i think when you came it was about three months after i was just starting passed. to get you know move a little forward and shit i remember like having covering up the uh there were so many pictures on the walls right mm -hmm. and like i remember I, I had to take them like down like some of them like not all of them and like there was a moment where i remember her friends came over and cleared out all of her stuff and i just wanted it all gone and then I was like, whoa, wait a minute. No, I want that dress. Um, give me that hat. Um, those boots, can you please keep those too? But like, I, I tried to move fast past it. And they did. They took everything out. You know, majority of it. And, and it covered up pictures and stuff. And that was, and then eventually, slowly, okay, let's, let's put that back up. Wait a second. My son needs to know he has a mom, right? Like, let's put those pictures back up, all right? And so it went from like, get it out to like slowly get it back in. And, and let's, cause I remember, I remember when, you know, I mean, yours was different. Yours was sudden, yours was a sudden death. Mm -hmm. Mine was a marathon, a mental war of just hope. Oh, good test. Bad test, good test, bad test, bad test, bad test. Uh-oh, right? 
So mine was a grind. It was a marathon. It was exhausting. It was frustrating. I had so much anger, like throughout that whole process. You had a lot of anger. And so eventually as time goes by, what happens is, is this, you learn to deal with it a little better, right? It never goes away. And when I'm in an airplane five years later, all right, there's times out of the blue, it hits you and you start crying and you got to turn your head. All right. But at the end of the day, it never goes away. You just learn how to deal with it better. That's what happens. That's reality. And some people can do it like better than others. And I, I think I was fortunate enough that I did, I did deal with it. I probably should have went and saw someone professionally, to be honest, you know, but I didn't. And, and I just, I just kind of learned on my own, like, this is what it is, but. So, yeah, so we, we went over, like I said, I went over there and we just, we just talked like, how, how did we even get here? What, how, what just happened? I, I, like I said, I don't even remember the full conversation, but we, we left. And then through the months, probably more so than me, but I was reaching out to other, a couple other people that I know that had lost their spouse. And so I'd reach out to him every now and again and just be like, hey, how you doing? And we would, that would be like through Facebook Messenger. And it was just a kind of a quick back and forth. And then nothing again for another month or two. And then down the road, even longer, we were talking one time. It was actually Casey's birthday. And I'd reached out and he, towards the end of the conversation said, if you ever want to grab a bite to eat, let me know. And so short version, couple weeks later, so-ish, we went out to eat. We went to a local Mexican restaurant. We sat there and talked for four and a half hours, just about how do you move forward? What do we do? You know, I mean, his, his things were different than mine, but they were still, we could compare stories and, and relate to one another because you can talk to your best friend. You can talk to your sister. You can talk to your brother and they feel for you and they're sad for you and they're sad for their own loss. But again, it's not the same. Yeah. So we, I, I think a couple of weeks after that or so I'd reached out to him and said, wow, that was just a lot better for me than what I thought it would be just to be able to connect on. I, I never went and saw anybody well, a couple of times, but it wasn't a good fit. And I just never went forward with it. Um, I did a little bit of uh, Facebook. There's a, uh, one of the pages is loss of a spouse. And that was good for me because I could just connect. So we ended up going out again and it just, it was a slow progression of us finding each other as a couple. I think in the beginning, all of our conversations even our next time getting together, I think we were together two, two and a half hours of just talking and again, talking about our late spouses, mm -hmm. what we miss, what we, you know, just everything, anything and everything. Um, so do you, feel, do you feel like your, your, what each of you has gone through is actually, you, you find that helpful in the other one? So for example, I have been through loss of a spouse and I did not remarry someone who'd also lost a spouse. And I know that my husband he has no idea. He has no idea what that's like, right? None. It's, mm -hmm. and, and you, can't, you can't explain that. You can't say, well, this is what it's like. It's kind of like when you do X, Y, Z. No, if you haven't been there, you can't explain that. It's like trying to explain a, a panic attack, for example, you can't explain it. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like you have 
kind of that closer connection because you have both experienced that loss. Um, even though I know um, in case of yours was was more drawn out, it was still pretty sudden and your wife was young and that was not Never like, you know, Vicky's example of, you know, you lost a parent or grandparent. It, it's a very different world. And so do you feel like you have, you have that thing in common that, well, it's kind of an ugly thing, but you have this thing in common that, that actually brings you closer, actually is helpful to each of you? Absolutely. I, I think we've both said if we would have met in our 20s, 30s, even we would have never been a couple. <laughs> we are polar opposites. Um, the thing that brought us together was the loss of a spouse. Yeah. And, and, and that compatibility. And Casey had another friend coworker who had lost a spouse and had remarried. And this was even before we'd even gotten to love. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I was talking to him and he said, he just loved two people. And yeah. I think for both of us, it was just a, whoa, you can do that. Yeah. And he told me that at a game. I mean, he's a, he was a scout. He lost his wife suddenly on a, a surgery. I think it was yeah. a botch surgery or something. And, and, and he said, you know, here's the reality. Harf. He goes, we love two people. And I was like, what? Like, really? I, I never thought of that. Yeah. And, and still today, like, wow. Any, either one it of was us- powerful when he said that, but you know, at the same time, like, I know, I'm, I don't know. You're, you're actually a pretty good yin to my yang, to be honest. Cause I'm very type a, I'm very hyper, very, you know, hard worker. You're a great worker. You're just calm. And like you, you're very good. We're, we're like a really good balance, you know, but we can talk about, she can talk about her husband, right? I can talk about my wife. And um, I know I remember initially, like I vetted it. I was just telling her that I said, because uh, she was mad that I took so long to, you know, commit like real commit. And she's like, I remember you telling me like, get me, you know, it's like, she had her get off the pot guy. Right. And I was scouting her. I was trying to figure her out. Like she had three kids. Right. And I'm like, okay, I don't know these kids really well. Are they normal? Check. Yeah, they are actually, they're fine. Right. And then I'm like, is she just trying to rush into a relationship? It took me forever to get married. One, because I'm, I'm not exactly you know, a good fit for most women. I'm, you know, traveling. I knew you know, him all as, the place. I, I knew him as Crystal's loudmouth husband. Right. <laughs> and so, and so I was trying to figure her out and I was like, man, she's got a lot of baggage. She's got three kids, um, you know, already married, blah, blah, blah. And then I realized like, wait a second, <laughs> I'm the baggage. I got the four year old. I got the four year old. I've gone 175 you know, that's average, right? I fly, I'm gone. So like, oh, you want to get married? Okay, great. Guess what? Here's my son. Uh, Help me raise that guy. (laughs) Because I certainly don't know what the hell I'm doing. (laughs) So it was, it, it, it's unbelievable how it all, you know, has come together. And I mean, we've had some really sad stuff happen. You know, my son, I'm always on alert. Like, is, is, is everything normal? Like, is he acting normal? Is there something wrong with him? Right. And he's a happy, positive kid. Um, no issues at school. Not one. He's a good, he's a good person so far. I mean, obviously he's only seven things can happen. I've seen it in my job. You know, I deal with idiot 17 and 18 year olds all the time. So it's, and, and then her, 
being so just responsible, good values, all the stuff that like is kind of disappearing in this world right now. That's her. She's 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 a really good human, right? And but I think one thing that that I would I would point out that I think is very different in your relationship as opposed to relationships with uh, maybe people who've been divorced. Um, for example, my husband has been divorced and we don't talk about his ex-wife. I mean, she's still alive and she's a pleasant person, but we don't talk about her. I mean, it's not like he he doesn't share with me wonderful memories. Not that I wouldn't listen to it, but it would be mm -hmm. awkward. It'd be awkward, right? Whereas I can share memories about, you know, my husband that passed because he's not here anymore. So it's, you know, yes. you said, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, it's a different thing. The, the people that you're remembering aren't a threat, if you will, to to each to each of you because they, they were there. And, and as you said, Casey, you can love, well, I'll say you can love even more than two people, but you can love two people. You can absolutely, completely adore your your wife that passed and still love this woman too. I mean, that's 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 one of the things I think you both probably have learned um, mm -hmm. as you've as you've gotten to know one another and and grown with one another. And I think that's a absolutely beautiful story to tell. So is there anything else you'd like to share with listeners before we end? Yeah, sorry it's taking so long. The only question I have is actually, this is kind of like a more comedy, but it's like, okay, so assuming we get to heaven, assuming I get to heaven, I know she's going to heaven, maybe debatable with me, depending upon, you know, what happens. But like, now what? What happens when we get to heaven? You know, that's a great question. I, I, I've thought about myself and I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not sure what I believe in for, you know, when we leave this world, but um I like to imagine, for example, uh, my son that passed away, that he's, he's if he's there, he's not disabled, he's, he's able to eat and walk and laugh and dance and all these things. And that my husband that committed suicide, you know, I'd like to think that um, he and I would be, I don't know, what would, we, would we be friends? I don't know what we'd be, but it wouldn't be a threatening space because I think any anything like that has got to be different than what we are here. And you, Casey, made the comment, you know, we don't have a lot of great people anymore and, you know, kind of what the world's going to. So um, I think for me, it's all about imagining what I'd like it to be. And if it's there and it is, that's great. If it isn't, at least while I'm in this life, I'm going to believe it's going to be this, this wonderful space where people are happy and, and they know you moved on. I mean, they know you had to go, you know, you weren't going to spend the rest. Of, I would, I would think if I passed away, I would, I would just hate the idea that my husband spent the rest of his life, not seeking companionship, um, right? I'd want him to do that. I'd want him to find someone. And, and Vicki, you commented about that with earlier with your husband and you having that conversation, what would you do if your spouse passed? So I think most of us, especially if we love our partner, would say we want you to be happy. So um, I, I hope it's not awkward when it happens for you, Casey, but I doubt it will be. <laughs> I think that's kind of one thing that I have tried to share with people. It's like, have those hard conversations because all of a sudden they're gone and you can't. And then you question what, what would he have been okay with, which it, it doesn't really matter, but you still, you hold him dear to your heart. Yep. Um, one other quick little thing is even still to this day, we will sometimes at night just be sitting and chit-chatting and it goes to Dana and Crystal and we can laugh, we can cry mm -hmm. and it's okay. There's no, I mean, he can even be telling me maybe an intimate moment between the two of them. And it doesn't hurt me. I know that he, they both had love for each other. Yeah. And that doesn't definitely does not go away when yeah. the person passes away. I, I know, I know that personally that it does not. So, yeah. 
Yeah, it has been an absolute pleasure to meet both of you. Thank you so much for your time. And um, thank you for being my guests. Yeah, thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Good Grief. To hear more about my personal story, please pick up a copy of the book, The Spider Killer, a memoir of trauma, tragedy, and survival. You can find the book on Amazon and Kindle.